Welcome to the Crop It Like It's Hot podcast, brought to you by Arable Farming Magazine and the Crop Tech Show. This month's podcast topic is all about grants and funding, as we explore current and future options out there for arable farmers and land managers. From SFI and countryside stewardship, to which machinery to keep an eye out for on the farm productivity grants, over the next hour or two, we're going to cover it all. But just quickly, before I get started with my first speaker, don't forget you can get one basis CPD point for tuning into this podcast by emailing the name of the podcast episode plus your basis account number to cpd at basis-reg.co.uk. For our first instalment in today's programme, Alice Dyer sat down with Strutton Parker's Head of Farming, Jonathan Armitage, to get his thoughts on what DEFRA has on offer for arable farmers at the moment. Jonathan, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. I just wanted to get a fairly general overview of where you see kind of farm funding heading, um, potential options available to arable farmers in particular over the next couple of years. Um, Obviously, there have been and continue to be a lot of changes with regards to loss of basic payments and the introduction of ELMS. But from your point of view, where do kind of key investment areas for DEFRA appear to be for agriculture at the moment and kind of within the the next five years, shall we say? Well, hi, Alice. Um, thanks very much for having me on. Um, yeah, it is a, definitely a complex web of support schemes around at, at the moment, all with similar sorts of names um, available to farmers for one-off capital grants and annual payments and it all takes a bit of navigation to find things that are right. Um, that's not helped by all of the, the multitude of announcements from DEFRA about funding that has been made available or funding that will be made available or funding that has already been deployed. Um, and it's difficult for a day-to-day farmer to, to know um, already to keep track of what's new, what's not, and what might be relevant to them. Uh, but uh, going back to the very basics, then and the Agriculture Act seems like quite a long way in our in our past now, uh, thankfully. But that, as you just mentioned, set out the removal of the basic payment scheme, obviously. Um, but in it, there were twelve things that government are now permitted through that act to fund, to spend public funds on. And I'll go through all those twelve things, but um, essentially they're enhancing the environment tackling climate change, preventing pollution, protecting animal and plant health, and of course, helping with farm productivity. And the bulk of that funding uh, is targeted, I think it's pretty common knowledge, is targeted at enhancing the environment and climate change parts parts of that. So that's clearly where where most of the attention is being spent in government and DEFRA funding the moment uh, with one-off opportunities for people and there are some quite good opportunities for people on um, on the on the farm productivity piece and there's kind of a bit of discussion i guess about the lack of mention of food production in a lot of the government plans do you think that the funding being offered will uh, can promote food production alongside the environmental benefits or is it that you know at the moment environment is really their priority yeah there's been a lot of discussion about this point um during the course of the agriculture bill put into place about the lack of mention of food production in their government um defra say a lot of good things about about integrating food production within a successful farming business but when it actually comes to deploying public funds. I think they struggle, uh, understandably, I suppose, in some ways, they struggle to, to deploy that those funds straightforwardly into, into food production and uh, making a, a legitimate case for that. And it's quite interesting to look now at the challenges that the government are facing, which they weren't facing in 2020 when the Agriculture Bill came up, uh, with um, affordability and food prices and inflation generally 
and you know the, what's been announced in the press recently about government's plans to or proposals to, to start to tackle food prices uh, and so on. So in a, in a nutshell, I think Alice don't really see very much uh, in the, the public funded sphere that is going to be uh, hugely influential on food production in the short term. Uh, having said that, uh, there's quite a lot of, mon of money available for longer term research and development, um, for uh, farmers to improve uh, technology deployment on farms, um, which is a whole other subject area. That's quite difficult to deploy new technolog technological solutions on many farms. Um, but I think it's essentially it's the it's the things where there is no market that government find it easiest to place their place their money, and that essentially is in the environment. I guess it'll be interesting to see what changes, if anything, depending on the kind of situation with food prices and availability. But we'll have to wait and see. Um, and the the thing that we're all kind of talking about and have been for, well, a couple of years now is um, ELMS and SFI. Have you any idea how uptake has been so far for the ELMS scheme that's currently available? And is it anywhere near on target for what DEFRA was aiming for? I suppose firstly, I think... I, I am minded to try and move away from using the, the term ELMS. I try and use it as little as I possibly can. Okay. I think that's it's slightly confusing to start talking about ELMS because uh, it's really an overarching term that refers to all of the environmental schemes that are available, or a number of the environmental schemes that are available. Um, and you find people talking about ELMS as if that's, there is a scheme called ELMS, and of course there isn't a scheme called ELMS. Uh, the... Uh, that aside, the whole stewardship picture has been more confused this year by DEFRA's decision to reverse their plans for, for a local nature recovery scheme and to move back to their fallback position of the countryside stewardship scheme in pretty much its existing, existing form. And although I would say that it's probably quite helpful uh, for farmers in, in, the, in the long run, because it's a it's a scheme that's well understood. Yeah. Um, it, it's in place. It's um, uh, the practical application is is proven and people understand it. So uh, there are advantages for that. But the complication uh, in the immediate in our immediate future is around the integration of that scheme with the other schemes and most notably the sustainable farming incentive and those. Uh, as you know, the, the SFI pilots and the early scheme of SFI has had a relatively low uptake. Uh, uptake is increasing now, but it was way behind where government's plans or optimistic plans were originally. And I think there's a number of different reasons for that. Um, essentially, it was, it was in essence a relatively low payment for a complicated set of new rules uh, delivered to farmers at a time when they were facing some much bigger issues to deal with. And I think that in itself about timing, the complexity of the scheme, the relatively low sums of money involved led to that pretty low uptake. Um, they've promised us some new, some new SFI standards um, this year. So early this year, they promised us uh, some new standards uh, to come forward in the summer. That was as accurate as the timetable was for it. I have optimistically been expecting the summer to be June, and uh, so we we'll wait to see whether we will see a, a more detailed announcement of that. But we do have we do have the, the, the basic structure of those standards. Uh, we just need to know when we can apply for them and how we can put them into into play. And I think one of the key issues is going to be uh, it's going to be timing on those because. The new SFI standards have included, in many cases, they've included some of the most popular countryside stewardship options. So I picked them up out of countryside stewardship, put them into an SFI standard uh, with uh, a rolling application window with shorter commitment times and so on for those schemes. So in a number of ways, they look more attractive within an SFI wrapper than mm -hmm. they do within a countryside stewardship wrapper. Uh, but, of course, people who have got countryside stewardship schemes 
in the planning phase at the moment and are expecting to make their mid-tier applications in the, by the middle of August this year uh, are going to be waiting to see what SFI looks like to see whether actually it would be better for them to have an SFI scheme instead of before it comes to those stewardship scheme. And the closer and closer we get to that um, middle of August deadline before details are released, the more difficult that becomes. Yeah. But I'm, ex- I'm expecting there to be a bigger a bigger uptake. Right, okay. And what would you kind of advise your clients that were maybe considering going into SFI? Well, quite a lot of people have got SFI, oh, sorry, I've got kind of stewardship schemes coming to an end uh, this year, so they need to, to make plans for what the replacement for their existing scheme looks like. And um, they understand what the council stewardship offer looks like. So my recommendation really is to keep pushing ahead with plans for a council stewardship scheme. Uh, look at what makes sense for your farm. And uh, if and when SFI standards become available, um, it's at that point you can make an assessment as to whether or not to jump ship effectively and switch yourself into a into an SFI scheme instead of pushing ahead with Campsite Stewardship. Um, it's, it's, it's obviously going to be difficult, um, but we have a sort of two-pronged approach at the moment to those things. And on Countryside Stewardship still, um, do you think a lot of farmers this year will be going into Countryside Stewardship for the first time um, with it being the potential final year for applications, um, just as a bit of a kind of safety net? with following the loss of BPS? Um, well, there will be schemes for them to, to follow on after that. I think the loss of BPS starts to really hit home this year uh, to, to a lot of people, uh, particularly as um, commodity prices come down and we move back into towards the sort of economic environment we were in two or three years ago. Um, and all of a sudden, the payment rates for stewardship start to look a bit more attractive. Uh, I'm always surprised, actually, at, that there aren't more people in stewardship at the moment. So it's about 30% of farmers and about 30% of the land uh, in England is is within a, a stewardship agreement. And I think most people expect it to be a bit more than that, uh, given some of the low bars there are in, in, in crossing the threshold into, into stewardship. So I would expect more people to be to be going forward with those schemes this year. Uh, yes, and, and those people who have got schemes coming to an end, I think probably will be uh, beefing up some of those schemes so they're doing, carrying out rather more activity than they might have been in the past for, for bigger payments. And of course, the payment rates have increased this year as well. So uh, there's a little bit more incentive for people to go ahead with some options. Yeah, okay. And then on to grants, um, there are, well, as you said earlier, you know, it's easy to kind of get lost in what's available and when, even as a journalist trying to keep up with it all is, it can be very confusing. So I don't know how some farmers manage. Um, But there are a few things floating around recently. Um, So we had the Farming Equipment and Technology Fund, which I believe closed in April. Uh, there's the slurry management and water grants. Um, and do you think that these are, I guess a lot of farmers, they maybe see them as they're kind of potentially more hassle than they're worth, but then to others they're very useful, especially if they're already thinking of buying the kit. Do you think these are worth farmers kind of exploring and looking into? Uh, I think the answer is yes, yes, there's a qualified yes. Um, and the reason I qualify it is because uh, we don't want, in a similar way to tax, we don't want the the, the grant uh, tail to wag the business dog, if you see what I mean. Um, so if you have a, a proposal in mind for changes to your farming business, changes to the ways that you do some of the activities you do, different cultivation strategies, different feeding strategies, whatever it might be. Um, and the only thing that is preventing you from doing that is the, is the, is the capital requirement at the outset and that, and that some grant funding towards it 
would make the difference for you between making that decision or not, uh, and obviously helps secure your, you know, some some future sustainability and resilience uh, for, for your business. Uh, then, of course, they're, they're worth going for. I think uh, the the difficulty with some of these schemes is that the window of making an application is often launched with not very much notice. Yeah. It's a relatively short it's a relatively short window for making an application. It doesn't give farmers very long very long periods of time actually to think about their business in the round. They've got to make quite a snap decision about whether or not uh, to go ahead with the grant application. So some of the, some of the things are almost no brainers within some for some farms in that if you can find some additional funding for some livestock handling equipment and so on and so forth, then that's that's great. Um, it doesn't require you to make a huge um, change to a farming business, but some of the more the more technical stuff and the bigger ticket items, I think, do need a great deal more thinking about and. Um, so uh, I would just encourage everybody to to think from that end of the of the telescope, the business end of the telescope, see what makes sense, and then have a look at what funding might be available to help them make that work. Yeah, absolutely. And that, probably, that, probably, that probably goes for quite a lot of the capital grants. Yeah, definitely. And I'll have to fact check this before this goes out, but I was at a meeting the other day and there was a guy from DEFA there and I'm pretty sure he said the Farming Equipment and Technology Fund and also think the water grant and slurry management is something that they plan to keep rolling out year on year. Um, so I guess if any farmers missed out this year, then they can maybe plan ahead a bit for when they suddenly announce it next year, depending yes, on... That'd be, that'd be great to be given that sort of commitment. Uh, of course, government can never really give people a long-term commitment, not least because the government may not the same government yeah. for a very long periods of time. So uh, it's always difficult to rely on that. And there are some grant schemes which are uh, very favourable and uh, haven't been, you know, we haven't seen in the sorts of at the sorts of levels for a long for a long time. So people should look, you know, if there's an opportunity to take advantage of it to make some real changes to their business, they sh- shouldn't uh, sort of sit back on the assumption that it's going to be available for forever. Yeah. Okay. In, within these, well, not these specific grants, but other kind of DEFRA grants available, there seems to be a lot of focus on robotics. Um, I think you touched on this briefly earlier, which is great, but I feel like there is maybe still a fair amount of kind of disconnect between actually having robots working on farms, not least the economics of it all. Um, but do you think this kind of funding will help to drive these changes on farm or is it a bit kind of dead money i feel like we've kind of been saying field robotics are two years away from commercial uptake for probably the last five years now introducing robotics into into a farming system is quite a big step change for most people Mm -hmm. and sort of going back to what i was saying earlier is that the advantage of introducing robotics in, in quite a lot of cases but not all, quite a lot of cases, the, the real business advantage is that it it's improves efficiency and saves you expenditure on other things. So you've got to have a look and see by introducing or improving outputs, of course, but you know, essentially um, saving money on things like your labour profile, for instance, and so on. Now, in, on, on a farming business, the, the labour profile is a pretty lumpy, um, a lumpy resource. There aren't very many people employed on on very many, very many farms, and it's fairly, it's relatively binary uh, as to when you, you know, you either employ somebody or you don't, and it has far-reaching implications for all sorts of other things uh, on the farm. So you need to think really carefully about introducing robotics um, and where the where the real benefits will will be found. I think there are some unique things about farming that make deploying technology quite challenging sometimes. Um, I think first of all, you've got very long production cycles, so uh, you don't have very many opportunities to change a system. If you've got got an an annual production cycle, which a lot of farming has, or even longer, you don't have very many opportunities 
to, to change that. Um, so that's one thing. Um, the other interesting thing is that farming for, for a great, a big chunk of farming, um, it's not actually very, very profitable. The margins are quite slim. Farming businesses have made money out of, uh, made their profits from the basic payment scheme, mostly, uh, in recent history, from uh, environment schemes, from diversification and from farming. And it's those four income streams that make up the total income for the business. And they give it some resilience because it's got those different four income streams. And up until the last year or so, the smallest part of that income was the farming income. So making, making productivity changes within the farming slice of that income uh, for lots of businesses, doesn't make a real big step change into in total total profitability. Yeah. So, uh, so deploying big sums of capital to improve efficiency needs to be you need to be able to demonstrate that you're you're, you're adding adding profitability. And I think that's uh, so you so you see the most deployment of um, of robotics where you have systems which are in most control. So, you know, um, obviously the protected crop sectors and, uh, and, and so on, where you can where you can afford some capital uh, input and the production is very controlled. Whereas in some of the uh, broad acre arable farming or um, more extensive livestock farming, um, which are affected by all sorts of other outside influences, not least the weather, um, it's more difficult to predict, predict returns on your investment. So, um, yeah, there are, there, are, there are challenges of, of deploying it. But again, as I, said, as I said before, if the only thing that's stopping you is the capital outlay and someone is prepared to, spend to, to fund 40% of that, um, it's definitely worth having. Yeah. I guess in arable as well, it's not like there's one kind of specific main costs say in horticulture it might be a, a robot that can pick everything it's not like in arable farming where there's one solution to suddenly cut all your costs yes i mean yeah and and uh you might see uh, lots of small robots uh, on an arable farm instead of you know, a small number of very big tractors all um, applying fertilizers herbicides pesticides in very precise ways um reducing fuel use reducing um uh, inputs use um, total so there are savings to be had there but uh, that is a that is in itself is a total change mm. to, to a farming strategy and that's quite a big ask for a business that is trying to make some money to stay in business for the following year so um it's it, you know in, in lots of ways uh, it might be limited. The, the, the big ticket robotic items might be limited to the to the, the big, more robust, well capitalised farming businesses. On to research and development funding. I know that there's funding available uh, in terms of like R and D grants for farmers that want to try new things on their farms. Is this something that you've you've done much with in the past? Uh, not really. Uh, is the answer. There's something called the Farming Innovation Program. Uh, which is a DEFRA partner, partnering with um, UK Research Innovation, um, providing funds for researching new ideas, for carrying out feasibility studies, for developing projects and, uh, and so on. And these are quite big sums of money, so they're aimed at quite big projects. Um, you know, the biggest grant funding is up to, up to £6 million. Pounds. Um, for this, and, it, and it's it's aimed at bringing people together for collaborative research and so on. And I I I can see some opportunities for farming businesses, significant farming businesses, to get involved in things like development of new products, development of new new systems, uh, and so on. And there's a couple of um, there's a couple of competitions they call them uh, competitions out at the moment for funding. Um, really around the subject of environmental resilience. And I would expect those to be led by 
uh, led by others, not really led by the average farming business, but but by others collaborating with farmers in order to test out the deployment of new technology in a real life farming situation. So that's all. That's mostly going to be about collaboration and about how farmers' networks, individual networks, work and whether they can um, do some work with with some uh, some of their research, some research teams. Uh, to find some of that funding. Yeah, it sounds like um, something that would be quite a big distraction from the kind of day-to-day, what's going on in the field. Yes, exactly. I mean, it, feel, it, feel, it, feels, like, uh, it feels like an opportunity for a substantial farming business yeah. that's developing, developing its own products. So, you know, and if they've got a bit of resource available that they can devote to, to some research and development, um, then... This is a great opportunity, a great opportunity for them. But I think for, for most of the farming businesses um, in the UK, that's probably going to be outside of their um, their abilities or their or their resources, frankly. Yeah, definitely. Okay, and just quickly, um, the new entrant scheme. As a new entrant myself, I'm always kind of keen to hear what's going on in this area. Uh, there is a scheme floating about there somewhere. Um, do you know if there's been kind of any more clarity on what it might actually mean in practice for new entrants, or is it still kind of in that development stage? Well, I think it's in the development stage. There are a couple of hundred, um, apparently there are a couple of hundred businesses within the new entrant scheme uh, at the moment. And the scheme uh, is led by, in different regions by different different organisations, academic organisations mostly. And they are delivering... Um, knowledge, uh, so upskilling people. They are helping people to develop business plans, to develop sales and marketing strategies, uh, and so on. In, in the main, I think those businesses are small businesses, um, and it's not providing them with direct funding. So it's not it's not supporting their living uh, in the sort of way that you might expect a new entrant scheme to do. But it's really giving them a a helping hand to create a farming, a, a viable farming business, and uh, it doesn't have a huge amount of funding for it at the moment. And it's, I think, still in the sort of assessment phase as to how successful that is. Yeah, I think I'm always a bit hopeful that there'll be something revolutionary coming out, but that's probably <laughs> what everyone wants for themselves. Um, and. Yeah. Finally, just based on kind of what we've discussed today, um, this is a very general question for a very large sector, but um, what advice would you kind of be giving a client of yours that is, you know, like a forward-thinking, adaptive, arable business, they're obviously losing BPS, they want to move with the times, um, not necessarily in terms of just grants and funding, but for kind of future-proofing their business, where would you be kind of, Telling them to focus their mind, I guess. Um, well, uh, that the question that people ask me: What do I need to do to make more money? Yeah, how, uh, how do I get rich? <laughs> the, the, answer, the answer is often do everything a bit better, um, which is a slightly glib statement, I'm afraid. But um, the the biggest the biggest issue confronting people is obviously the loss of the basic payment scheme a fixed a fixed amount of income which was 90 percent profit and uh the idea that new environmental schemes um, and the like are going to replace that uh, profit um yeah is it, it's not it's not going to do that for, for any particular for any for any farmer really uh there however a really well-constructed environmental scheme that takes advantage of some of the best options in some of the best locations uh, on a farm can genuinely add uh, a fair bit of fixed income. So it gives a baseline of fixed income to a farming business. So that's one that's one sort of fairly obvious place to, place to start. Um, we have seen a resurgence in all of the diversification things uh, recently, and it's not farming. And I don't think we should say that that's not a way to make a farming business more profitable, but it is a way to make um, a, a land management business uh, more profitable. Uh, but it is only available to some people in some locations with capital available and, and so on. Yeah. But the, the, 
the diversification income from farming has been increasing at something like 10% per year over the last few years. So it is expanding quite quickly. People are finding some great, interesting, novel ways to generate some, some more. Um, there are also some funds around which I, I'm not sure are, um, are being taken up uh, as robustly as they might be. Um, there's, if you are farming in a what they call a protected landscape, so if you're farming in a national park or area of outstanding natural beauty, there's something called the Farming and Protected Landscapes Programme. And there are funds available in there um, to support activity. It's not huge amounts of money, but it's for things like uh, fencing for machinery um, to manage land and so on. Those are, and, and they're managed by the protected landscape managers, so either the, the, the National Park Authority or the Airabouts and the Natural Beauty Managers. So the, uh, those those are definitely worth um, definitely worth looking at if you're if you're farming in one of those areas as well. There's one particular area where I think people need to focus a, a bit of time as well, and that's in water. And that's clearly not uh, not an issue for or not an issue that many people can do something about. But where you are, where you do have a business, and there are plenty of them, businesses that are specialising in root crops, salad crops, veg crops, um, they are totally reliant in many cases on the continued availability of water and will become increasingly so. And they're all reliant on a variety of different abstraction licenses from different sources. And I think um, they have to come to terms with the fact that they, those are coming under risk, either because the water in, in their in their abstraction points simply won't be available anymore because water generally is genuinely disappearing. Or, um, or they're caught by a more national approach or a catchment approach to reducing water and have their licenses reduced. And the water grants that are available at the moment are you know, as good as we've ever seen for building new reservoirs and putting in place new systems for irrigation. So I, I, those are definitely um, worth taking advantage of. Excellent. It's like I asked you to say that because our last podcast episode was on water management. So everyone that's listening can now go back and listen to that as well. <laughs> Thanks to Jonathan and Alice. Next up, with Countryside Stewardship in its final year for applications as we know it, Ash Burbage spoke to Harriet Jones of Barbers Rural about what's new for the scheme this year. And what are advices to farmers who are currently not in the scheme, but considering it as an option going forward? So we've got Harriet Jones from Barbers Rural that's based in Shropshire with us to chat a little bit about the Countryside Stewardship Scheme. Um, so Harriet, can we just start off with you telling us a little bit about yourself, um, about Barbers Rural and how your job can link with, link with funding um, such as the Countryside Stewardship Scheme? Yeah, of course. So I'm Harriet Jones. Um, I'm a rural chartered surveyor. I've recently become an associate partner of the firm um, and I've been here now um, on and off actually for 10 years. Um, I did work experience with the firm and we are based in Cheshire, Shropshire and Staffordshire. They're the areas that we cover. Um, so how sort of when I'm going about my day to day job, whether it's on farm, giving valuation or planning advice, we always end up discussing a wide range of farming topics and inevitably grants and subsidies are a very popular topic for discussion. Um, so it does come up quite a bit. Cool. OK, um, so about the Countryside Stewardship Scheme. Um, so as I understand, it's entering its last year of applications um, as farmers are sort of encouraged to look a little bit more towards elms. Um, so when is the last chance for farmers to apply for the scheme? Yeah, so you're exactly right. This year, it's the last year that the Countryside Stewardship is available, um, but an enhanced version of um, Countryside Stewardship will be available in future years. And rather than build a whole new scheme, um, which DEFRA were initially calling the local nature recovery, they're going to adapt the Countryside Stewardship because it's been working so well um, to achieve the same outcomes they intended to deliver through the local nature recovery. But more information will be about um, later this year on that and the future schemes but last chance will be this year for a stewardship. Brilliant okay um, and currently the scheme is split into two sections I think it's the mid-tier and higher tier. Um, are both of these still open for applications? 
So a higher tier, um, no, unfortunately, um, that closed on the 28th of April. Um, and this is a higher tier applications, more sort of complex management. Um, and as a result, we've found the national uptake is actually quite low. Um, but for a mid-tier, um, the deadline to apply is the 18th of August to start for the 1st of January next year. So this is still available. And your mid-tiers, the broad range of options and capital items that sort of help deliver a broad range of environmental benefits. If your mid-tier consists of capital items that require catchment-sensitive farming support, then the deadline to put this in for the request for that support is the 9th of June. So need to be thinking about that sort of sooner rather than later. Um, but you, if you're just going for a capital-only application, at the moment, there's no deadline for that and it's available all year round. Okay, so for these sort of mid-tier um, and capital sort of investments, are you expecting a big uptake this year? Yeah, I've certainly been really busy with um, capital only and the mid-tier, um, so I've had a lot of clients inquire about them, and I, I'd like to think we'll have a good uptake again this year. And um, DEFRA have stated that in January this year, there was around 32,000 um, contract stewardship agreements, which was a 94% increase from 2020. So I remember reading that and thinking, wow, you know, it is really becoming uh, a lot more popular, so I would like to think that will continue Brilliant. Wow, that is a lot of people still um, looking yeah. to apply, which is great. Yeah. Um, and how long does sort of a typical countryside stewardship grant last? Um, and sort of farmers that have already got a current agreement, are there any options to add on sort of new sections or sort of different options this year? Yeah, so um, a mid-tier country stewardship lasts for a period of five years. Um, and new for this year was um, you can enter land in an existing mid-tier into a new agreement, but you've got to make sure that the same action is not being funded twice, so there's no conflicts. Um, also, that there's sufficient space for both the options and they're compatible. And then if you're including capital items in your agreement for the new one, any capital works in your existing agreement must have been fully completed and paid for um, and then you know for people who have already had and are familiar with the stewardship scheme um, in the past few years we've seen that they've been offered mirror agreements so identical options same again for another five-year period and we've heard a little bit about the rates um, being increased this year mm -hmm. Any ideas why you think they've been increased sort of, you know, going into the last year and where are we seeing any differences to payments? Yeah, so I mean, inflation, a, a lot of the reven annual revenue items, the grants available are based on the income foregone. So with the rising input cost, with the rising output costs, it's meant that DEFRA have needed to increase these payments for farmers for the scheme to be financially viable for them. Um, and also, the, the pot of money for the funding hasn't changed. It's just being reshuffled around as the basic payment is being reduced. So there's actually more money available for this um, environmental funding. And I suppose the, the options and the examples where we've seen the payments increased is a lot of the popular items, such as your fencing, so your sheep netting, previously just under £5 a metre, um, and now it's just under £7.50 per metre. And, you know, the grassland options that, I mean, over the last two years, permanent grassland with very low inputs, it's gone from £95 per hectare to £151 per hectare. So qu quite a large jump, really. Yeah, well, that will make quite a big difference to people, won't it, on these schemes? Yeah. And what sort of barriers do you see for clients um, that are trying to apply for these schemes? Um, and any farmers that aren't currently on a scheme, particularly with these increased prices, what would mm. you advise them, um, you know, when they're yeah. looking to apply? So I'd, I'd be sort of saying to them that, you know, anybody taking up these grants will sort of need to con carefully consider whether it's going to limit the flexibility of the future cropping or stocking um, for the business for it to be beneficial to them um, and some farmers may find that once they start looking into it they could actually be getting paid for things that they're already doing 
Um, and, you know, farmers inherently have a strong environmental ethos as looking after the land, soil, environmental features. It's important for both the landscape and the farming business. But, you know, some options are slightly too restrictive for farmers to fully comply with. And it is going to impact on their day to day farming practices. You know, every farm is different, really. So it needs to be tailored to that, their individual needs. And I'd say that's kind of the biggest barrier, really. Yeah. Uh, to going into one of these schemes just picking up sort of for arable farmers you mentioned you know sort of things that they are already doing that they might be able to sort of get funding for is there anything you can think of off the top of your head that would be a standard sort of you know people might already be doing in their arable enterprises that they could possibly sort of get some guaranteed income from a from a scheme yeah, um, I mean, the options are under the mid-tier are much more sort of geared towards arable farmers than intensive livestock farmers. So um, you, you winter bird food for, you know, that's um, it's good for awkward field corners and areas which machinery can't get to. Um, same as the nectar flower mix. They're always quite popular options because the payment rate per hectare is, is quite high. Um, and buffer strips, um, winter cover crops, they're popular, um, particularly with maize in this area, you know, where the, the maize crop can be sown or under sown with the grass mix to provide a cover over the winter following the, the harvesting of maize. So they're sort of ones which are quite popular for arable farmers. And I think you mentioned it a little bit already, just sort of the crossover between different schemes and managing sort of double payments. Um, mm -hmm. With the introduction of ELMS, um, how do farmers sort of manage that crossover? Can they get paid, you know, between both schemes or is it do they have to keep it quite separate? So it's, I mean, the, the ELMS is going to, it's very similar, you know, as I've already said, similar to the country stewardship where farmers have to undertake the requirements to receive um, the funding. Um, signing up now will put um, farmers in a, a good position um, to join future schemes and also gives farmers a good source of income for providing the benefits. Um, but what they have said is that, you know, they appreciate signing up for five years. It's going to be quite a, an interesting few years. So anybody going into a new um, mid-tier agreement or stewardship higher tier, they will actually be able to terminate the agreement early, so not go through with the five years, if a new scheme comes out and they want to go into it without penalty, um, providing that they meet the same environmental benefits. Um, but we're seeing that sort of crossover already with a sustainable farming incentive um, and the mid-tier, you can you can go into both. And are you getting sort of a lot of people um, for sort of sustainable farming incentive um, and countryside stewardship? Is there a particular scheme that's sort of more weighted with applications or is it quite even across the board? Um, at the moment, I think because with the SFI, they're going to be introducing more standards, um, you know, sort of this, some of the six new standards coming out. We've, and mid-tier is more familiar with people. Um, we're actually seeing at the moment um, that the mid-tier is, is a bit more popular, but I'm sure, you know, we're still having lots of inquiries. But the actual uptake yet with the SFI is just, yeah, it's just a bit behind mid-tier. OK, and talking about mid-tier specifically, as you know, obviously that's what we've got left. <laughs> um, what would be sort of popular options for arable farmers? What really sort of sticks out for them? Yeah, so so the, the bird food for the awkward field corners, we've, you know, the payment rate for that £732 a hectare. So if you've got, you know, your machinery and you, you can't get to these corners, just put and it's sort of being left putting these flower mixes and those sorts of things on actually around the farm for areas which you're not doing anything with can slowly add up to quite a nice um, annual payment rate for them. You mentioned previously a little bit about the capital grants. Um, just wondered if you could give a little bit of an outline as to what's changed for 2023 um, and what might options be that are suitable for arable farmers looking at, at these grants? Yeah, so for the capital, um, which is quite nice, they've said this year that farmers will actually have three years to complete the works as opposed to two years, which will obviously help with cash flow and, you know, weather and that sort of thing. Um, it yeah. just allows for that. 
Um, also, items which require supports from catchment sensitive farming are now available in high, medium and low priority areas for water and air quality. So that allows more farmers to claim. And then also, um, there's no limit to the value of the capital items that can be claimed for, which has been you know, great for people looking to invest in the farm who couldn't previously because it was capped at um, £20,000 per um item and theme um, and I suppose the, there's a wide range of options for livestock and arable farmers um, the popular items tend to be the more higher value ones such as concrete yard renewal machinery and hardcore tracks um, there's certain roofing grants and then the boundary grants you know they're very popular as well particularly new fencing and hedging and after this final year of um, the scheme, do you think capital grants in some sort of fashion will still be available or do you think they'll change it to something separate? I, I would really like to think um, that they will still be continuing to offer them because they're just so popular um, and they're delivering the environmental benefits. And I'd like to think that DEFRA will continue to roll this out going forward in some you know way or form that they're paying farmers to do um, invest in the capital item. So hopefully they will. Yeah. <laughs> and one last question um, for any of our listeners that might be on the fence about applying for um, countryside stewardship this year what would be your sort of take-home message for them so i suppose those who have previously sat on the fence should really consider the scheme this year following the announcements of the payment rates increasing um, for new and existing applicants and the options focused on the increase in the wildlife populations and the creation of management and grassland habitats you know it can be daunting if you haven't got any experience previous experience of them but these can form as large or small part of the application as the farmer desires so i would say you know use these years as a transition into elms and it might be a dull task sitting around and you know setting some time aside just to review the risks of the business the options that are currently available management requirements and, and how it'll impact on the business but just having that conversation could really benefit the farming business but you know as always the, the devil's in the detail and, and it's not going to appeal to all farmers and landowners but over this transition period it's going to be a, a really interesting time with the different changes and what's being released and coming out and I'd say, you know, keep in regular contact with their agent and um, lots is going to be changing. So if anyone listening does need any help, you know, I'd be delighted to assist where I can. I, I love doing stewardship work, um, very passionate about it and helping farmers. So, you know, I, I'd love to help where I can. But um, thank you for yeah having me and inviting me on the podcast. Oh, no, it's been great to have you. Thank you so much for um, talking us all through that. Hopefully Thanks. that's... Um, makes a bit more sense for everybody. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> and last, but by no means least, our machinery specialist, James Highton, spoke to Will Huck, farm advisor at NWA Professional, to find out about what arable farmers should be looking out for when infrastructure grants like the Farming Equipment and Technology Fund reopen. So today we are going to talk about farming uh, funding, grant funding in particular on machinery and innovation and um, we're going to just start off with the uh, Farming Equipment and Technology Fund. So basically the funding is now closed for 2023 um, but we've uh, got lots of options still available on other grant funding but we're going to just start off by having a run through of what was available and what should be available next year. Um, yeah, so Will, do you, want to, do you want to go and give us a little bit of a rundown on what was available on funding? Yeah, so um, the Farm and Equipment Technology Fund, um, so it was split into two themes, um, and it was slurry and productivity, which is the one that's closed and which had the most of the machinery on. Um, so the grants were from 1000 to £25,000. So that's your minimum grant spend of £1,000 um, and your maximum of £25,000. And the circa 40% grant value. Um, so that's kind of what based on. Um, some farmers might have previously um, look, maybe had a grant from the productivity grants, which was similar. Um, these 
didn't matter for this. It doesn't matter if you had money from the previous round of them. Um, so it was sort of starting fresh. Um, so sort of why are they there? So it's all to do with productivity, um, sustainable pesticide and fertilizer usage, trying to improve air and water quality, uh, reducing greenhouse gas emissions, all about the net zero um, targets, that kind of thing. So the included items, there was obviously the slurry items, so dribble bars um, and separators. But in terms of arable equipment, there was things like direct drills, grain stirrers, uh, remote soil moisture sensing. So to give you an idea, kind of a grant values for a three meter direct drill, they were expecting it would cost you £30,135. So you'll get a grant value of £12,054. Um, so that's kind of what they are. In terms of the application process, it's online, so it's an online form. Um, if you kind of can get onto your real payments account and that kind of thing, it's fairly simple to do and you should have the information you need to hand. Um, for sort of advice on applying, I would say read the manual. It can be a bit long, but it does give you a good idea kind of what they're looking for. Um, and another important thing, make sure the items you're getting are to spec because that's really important at claim stage. And if you can get a really detailed invoice, that just helps your claim go through better as well. Because um, at claim stage, they can be quite strict on that kind of thing. Um, but that's kind of an overview of what was available. Um, and in terms of another round, I think there definitely will be one because as money's kind of brought away from existing schemes such as BPS, um, it is going into these new schemes filtering down. In terms of timeline, I couldn't say, but I would guess towards the end of this year or potentially start of next year, I would think. Um, yeah, so the uh, the grant funding ran from the 21st of February 2023 to the 4th of April 2023. So I think we probably, we probably agree that this time, roughly that time next year, they'll be, they'll be opening a window again. I would think so, yes. Yeah, it, I mean, you you briefly touched upon it. BPS is is being phased out over the next few years, and the the uh, defra ministers are looking to, I suppose, move that money into more grant funded schemes to improve productivity across UK agriculture, make it more resilient to, um, I suppose, fertilizer price increases and pesticide um, availability and those sorts of things. So. Yeah, I think there's a lot of potential out there, isn't there, Will? And, uh, you know, it's um, it's about taking advantage of those things that are available and getting it right for your business, isn't it? It is. And, I mean, if you if you look on the list, there is a wide range of items available. Um, so even if you haven't gone for it this year, if you have a look on this year's Annex, so it's Annex 3, Industry and Productivity, you'll get an idea of what might be available for next time. Um, something that might suit your business. But, yeah, it's definitely about taking the opportunities that are coming forward with these grants as your BPS comes down. And I think that's what everyone's really going to have to do. Just look at all these different new schemes, try and get through the loss of your BPS so that you stay resilient and hopefully profitable for the future. I think the uh, the other thing we just want to to highlight, on the obviously, on the grant funding there is that... Um, keep to the spec of the the machines available and obviously it's only available on new equipment so you can't cover second-hand machinery costs on the back of uh, the grant funding as well no so yeah it has to be on brand new equipment and machinery i think yeah this is probably quite a lot of people ask why that is it is because everything has to be to a minimum specification and as part of the grant funding agreement you've got to keep the items on farm for a minimum number of years so having it as brand new equipment or machinery, I guess it's ensuring it's got that lifespan to ensure it is going to be in working order for that at least that number of years. Um, and yeah, it's just going back to that spec. They need to know it meets that minimum spec so they can pay your claim out when you get to claim stage. Yeah, so moving on to, moves nicely on to the next little bit of the question was, do you think that um, this grant funding for new equipment is probably bringing up the second-hand machinery price a little bit? Or where does that um, sit in the overall cost of machinery? I think that um, I think that there's obviously some very popular items on this particular grant, and I think that 
the suppliers are obviously going to see increased demand for certain items. Um, whether they take that into account pricing, I don't know. Um, I think they're obviously aware of these type of grants that are out. But yeah, I think it's sort of supply and demand. And but then there's also a lot of other factors in play as well at current sort of prices of things in terms of what else has happened sort of in recent times. Yeah, no, I think I think following on, yeah, definitely with regards to, um, I suppose, supply chain issues that we've had off the, the back of uh, the pandemic and also the war in the Ukraine's probably caused some other supply chain issues, which is, is certainly brought the price of uh, manufactured equipment up with a with a I suppose a supply and a demand effect, hasn't it? So the the machinery is not being produced to the same quantities, and and there's still the demand there for 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 new equipment. No, I think that's I think that's right. I think there's a lot of other factors at play, not just sort of these grants. But yeah, I think there definitely is some supply and demand that comes into it. There's a new round of funding for water management issues and um, water storage. Um, obviously, in recent years, we've um, seen a v- more variability in weather patterns across the UK, um, a greater demand for fresh water to uh, irrigate crops and various bits and pieces like that. And having a better ability to manage water across farms, whether it's storing it when there's high volumes of rainfall and we, we need to, to put it somewhere just to, to store it and then utilise it when, when needed. What sort of funding's available on that kind of thing, Will? Um, yeah, no. So currently under uh, the Farming Investment Fund, um, part of the Transformation Fund, there is the Water Management Grant and this is round two of it. So it basically covers new farm reservoirs, so building a new farm reservoir, um, and then also irrigation equipment and also sensors and things like that. In terms of applications, they are prioritised. So they'll be prioritised against productivity, water sustainability and the environment. So, yeah, that's going back to like you said, um, we saw sort of last last year that um, the rivers were running dry during the drought, especially in southern England. Um, and it's about yeah really managing the water resources that we have so that we can try and manage these changes in weather patterns. But examples of what you might use this grant for, it would be, say, changing from rain gun irrigation system to trickle or boom, or building a farm reservoir. So moving away from summer water abstraction, which you might be doing, to having it on farm reservoir, which, you know, you can hopefully fill during wet months um, and then utilise during the dry months. In terms of the application process, it is like some of the others. So it'll be a two-stage application process. And stage one closes on the 12th of July. So that's your first one to get in. The grants are between 35000 and £500,000. And that's on your grant value. So your total project value would obviously be more than that. And the grants can cover up to 40% of the eligible cost of the project. So you're looking at, yeah. 40% and you'd have to put up the other 60. In terms of should people be going for it, I think that if you are looking to do something like this, whether it's upgrading your irrigation system or something more substantial like building a farm reservoir, I think there's no harm in putting a stage one application in. I think you might as well see if you get accepted to the second round when it will be full application. And then you can have a look and see more detailed plans um, and dig into it a bit more. But I certainly think... There's no harm in putting a stage one application in. No, definitely. And there's some sizable funding available there for, for a large infrastructure projects for people. If, they, if they've if they got a, a large uh, potato enterprise or, or even just growing, growing uh, you know, veg across the uh, uh, north, uh, southeast um, regions, it's definitely something that uh, should be used and utilised because I think it's not been noticed or uptaken quite as well as some of the other grant funding options available. Um, and if we don't utilise it, I think there's a potential that DEFRA could re- reassess and perhaps take this funding away. Yeah, I think you definitely don't hear about it as much as, say, the productivity grants, uh, the equipment technology grants. Um, but yeah, I think you're right there. I think if people aren't sort of uptaking them, then DEFRA might look at it again and think, well, maybe we should put this money into a different project um, or a different theme. So 
yeah, I think if it is something that farms are looking at, they should definitely have a look at these grant opportunities and see what's available to them. But I think probably going forward for some businesses, it, it's going to be good planning to work on this kind of stuff now. Um, so you are kind of prepared for the longer droughts we're going to have and the drier periods going forward. Yeah, so we're, we're going to just move on to um, basically funding and innovation. So there's um, there's obviously some more, obviously the, the, the funding that DEFRA's got available at the moment is, is split up into different areas and, and they, they want to, I suppose, innovate the farming sector and bring it into a um, more robotic basis to alleviate some of the, the stresses and strains of, of labour shortages in UK agriculture. Um, and yeah, so what what other grant funding is available regards to that, Will? So in terms of kind of robotics and stuff like that, the one I've looked at um, is the Improving Farm Productivity Grant. So again, this is part of the Farming Transformation Fund, which is kind of like the umbrella for all these kind of things. Um, now, this one is now closed. It closed, uh, I think it was in March, um, for stage one applications. But again, I would think it'll be something that will open again because this funding is moving away from BPS, etc., um, so there is going to be money to continue offering things like this. But in terms of this improving farm productivity grant, it, it was to cover capital items to improve farm and horticultural productivity. Um, so, for example, it's using robotics or autonomous equipment, and there was also slurry acidification in there as well. So that was another sort of shoot off of it. It's regards to the slurry acidification, that's obviously where you're, uh, utilizing or improving the nutrient availability of, of your slurry isn't it so i think off the back of obviously increased fertilizer prices people have been a lot more uh noted and on point of of how they're usually in slurry or or even looking towards slurry as an alternative to bag den um and and that's something that'll obviously help yeah i mean yeah so my old acidification equipment is what it's going to cover um and yeah, that basically lowers the pH of the slurry and it stabilizes the ammonia. So that reduces the ammonia emissions that are coming from storage. Um, but as you say, it also increases the availability of the nutrients um, to crops. Um, but yeah, I think what you said about moving away from sort of inorganic fertilizer usage, that is going to be really important over these next few years in terms of what the government's offering. So like in the, the sustainable farming incentive the kind of offer for the improved arable soil standard, it's about increasing your organic matter in your soil, um, getting some goodness back into it. So, you know, if an arable farm does have uh, a livestock enterprise or has access to manures and slurries, then I think it's going to be an important thing if they can get some of that back into their soil and and increase their organic, organic matter levels. Um, and also, be able, yeah, be able to access that new SFI funding which a lot of folk are going to be looking at, you know, now once their BPS is starting to really reduce down. But yeah, I mean, in terms of this grant, it will pay for the acid storage, the dosing equipment, the mixing tank and the pump. So it will kind of cover the whole process. But yeah, I think that is something that quite a few folk might start to look at. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely, it's all about trying to utilise and improve what you have already existing on farm. It is, it is. And um and then in terms of slurry job, all the regulations and rules um, that are starting to really come in, it's it's kind of trying to look at it all as a whole picture. And I guess this acidification is one thing that might sort of do that. You know, if, you, if you're reducing your own emissions, you don't have to put your cover on. Um, for the 2027 rule, you're kind of, I guess, getting both things at once, aren't you? Um, so, yeah, I think that could be something that starts to become more popular um, potentially going forward. But I mean, going back to this grant, in terms of maybe more the robotic side, uh, um, the kind of robotics that are eligible for harvesting, weeding, spraying, driverless tractors or platforms. And then there is also like the milking robots on there as well. But they will be looking to ones that use electric or renewable energy um, over ones that are powered by fossil fuels. So the electric or renewable energy ones will be sort of prioritised and I guess probably score higher 
um, in the application process. But yeah, again, the 35,000 to 500 pound grant values. And again, it's 40% grant contribution. So you'd be looking to put 60% towards it. I think it's important to note also that if maybe you were looking to do one on the robotic side and one on the slurry acidification, you could have actually put in two applications for each as well and split it that way. So that was quite interesting if you were maybe looking to do both. But yeah, it is closed now, but I would think, again, it's probably something that will open up again and something that will continue to be pushed forward due to sort of the priorities of agricultural transition plan from the government. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, with BP as we, we've reiterated again as BPS is being phased out, the 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 wanting to 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 change the way that they fund agriculture. So this is all part of it, isn't it? Um, yeah, that's brilliant, Will. Thank you very much for that. And we'll just fi- finish round it all up. There's obviously a further bit of grant funding for people who want to work collaboratively. I suppose is the best term within the farming sector, innovate and, I suppose, develop new technology. And there's there's another bit of funding available um, just to, to basically boost research across across UK agri- agriculture, isn't there, Will? So uh, what, what sort of things are available there? Yeah, so, I mean, throughout agricultural transition since it started, they've kept saying about innovation and, and, and that kind of thing and research and funding for that. And through that, I guess, has come the Farming Innovation Programme. So DEFRA have partnered with the UK Research and Innovation to fund projects. And the funding is actually awarded through competitions sort of run by UK Research and Innovation. So it's all sort of about helping farmers increase productivity, sustainability and resilience, uh, reducing environmental impact and using science to develop solutions, any problems that we might have in agriculture. So in terms of competitions, they're kind of set out in tranches. So there's ones open at certain times and there'll be different ones that might be of interest to you and other ones that might not. But this is all on the UK Research and Innovation website. So that would be a good place to go if you were interested in this. But like currently open, there's Farming Futures, which closes in July. The Small Research and Development Partnerships, which close in October. And there's feasibility, which closes in November. But yeah, as James said, we're looking for collaboration. So working as a team. And I think the UK Research and Innovation uh, team can actually help you find the right people to work with if you do sort of submit a first application. So like looking at an example of one of these, it was the Robotics and Automation Competition. And it did close on the 15th of March, but that was a 12.5 million pot of money, which was part of the Farming Innovation Programme. An example of that would have been somebody that was looking to develop some robotics to move fruit from a picker to a packing station. So they're the kind of things that are available through this. And I think if you have got an idea or you're really keen to try and find an idea to maybe a problem that you're having, whether it's caused because of labour shortages and stuff like that, then this could be something quite interesting to look at, especially maybe if there's a few of you that want to work together um, to try and come up with something that's going to help all of you or the wider farming community. So, yeah, I think for the right person, there's probably some quite good things there. And in terms of like values, there's some quite considerable amounts of money um, available through that programme for projects. No, brilliant, Will. That's uh, that's great. But thank you very much for your time, Will. That's all we've got time for for this episode, but we hope you enjoyed it and we'll be back again in a few weeks' time. See you next time.